the next edition of the Modern Times Podcast. John Guzon here with Karen Weil. Hi, Karen. Hi. Good afternoon and hello to all the listeners out there. Hope you're having a great day. And just speaking for them, Karen, I know they're glad to hear your voice again. I'm glad glad they're out there listening and we're glad to hear yours. We're all glad here. (laughs) We're happy. We're shiny, happy people today. Um, We're shiny, happy people. You got to be in these times. (laughs) To steal a line from Michael Stipe from R.E.M., we're shiny, happy people. Um, Even even with the issues that we're going to be discussing today, we can still maintain that shiny, happy veneer. Um, We're going to run down a uh, um, uh, FBI Director Comey testified today uh, to Congress. Um, We're going to talk a little bit about uh, the election in Europe, this one in the Netherlands, and then how that might impact the rest of the European political scene. Um, We're going to jump into Trump's budget plan. Um, even though he doesn't hold the purse strings, um, and the GOP's Obamacare repeal seems to have hit a banana peel and might be sliding out of control. Um, those are our four topics for today. Karen, let's jump off right away. If you don't feel, if you don't mind, we're going to go right into the lap of Director James Comey of the FBI. Absolutely the biggest news of the day. It even eclipsed the hearing for a Supreme Court justice, a possible Supreme Court justice. Neil Gorsuch. So, and and, and you know, and right away, I guess you know, fifteen minutes to an hour afterwards, there was a little mini Trump storm, uh, uh, and, and and of course, Trump <laughs> storms. Oh, yeah, and 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 Trump storms only exist within the Twitter realm or the Twitter zone. Um, Correct. Uh, because he usually, you know, now we know when he goes to Congress, he speaks with a teleprompter. But at least on Twitter, he seems to be unfiltered. Um, that for sure <laughs> um, but first let's get to Comey's uh, statements today he does um, and he's, he, he gives credit to uh, the Justice Department for saying that it's okay he does come out and say that they are investigating um, the Russian meddling in the 2016 especially the presidential election who knows what else they did down the ballot and also um, that there might be some interference with the Trump campaign um, what did you take out of that well, I, I, I mean, I think people were surprised in a way at what he said, in the manner that he said it. But I think there, I, I think that it's all been building up to this. You know, there, there have been leaks, as we know, from pretty much the day after Trump got elected to now that the FBI was looking into this. It wasn't just Hillary Clinton and her campaign that were under their microscope, except that Comey went public with that, and he, you know, he took quite a beating in the. In the uh, in the in the news world for doing so, and many people believe that it it definitely hurt Hillary Clinton and probably cost her a necessary swing state or two. And here we are today, Trump's in the White House. Um, I, I think it was interesting that the Justice Department gave the okay. I don't think that was with any sort of relish or enjoyment. I suspect that Jeff Sessions, who himself is not had the greatest opening as uh, Attorney General, given his testimony. Uh, recently before the Senate, in which he, for all intents and purposes, lied under oath. And even though he was not asked that direct question, he still gave that information um, and then recused himself. But I, I suspect he realized he had no choice but to give the FBI some leeway to speak freely about this or, or his public reputation, which has already been diminished considerably, uh, would have been hurt even worse. 
Um, so I, I wasn't surprised by anything I heard Comey said. He was still careful in terms of the, some of the questions he, were, he was asked, especially by Adam Schiff, about not getting too specific. Right. Um, and I, I don't think, even though I, I, I've always had feeling a, a, sort of a sense about James Comey, he's a decent man. I think he cares about the FBI, obviously, and its reputation, but his decision to go public with information about Hillary Clinton not only damaged his credibility, it damaged the FBI's. Uh, I suspect right. his actions now are, are technically the right thing to do, but they're also, in some ways, to try to restore credibility to the FBI, um, because it needs it, no question about it. Yeah, and, and um, you know, I, I mean, you know, what I also thought was interesting was that he was talking about all these other things, and there's been that, that, that items come up that the statement that came out a week before the election or two weeks before the election um, that, right, that, that, around that, Halloween. Right, that kind of reignited the whole, the whole, um, you know, Hillary Clinton email fiasco. Uh, Anthony Weiner's yeah. obviously showing his Weiner. Um, unfortunately, I mean the guy. <laughs> yeah, none of us needed to see that ever. I mean, the Weiner <laughs> that caused the most trouble in the past uh, twelve months has to be Weiner's Weiner. But that's another story <laughs> for a different day. It's another story for another time, and not to relitigate the twenty sixteen election. But I, I would love for somebody to explain to me how it was possible, even with polls being unreliable as they are many times, and I've always said the only one that matters is the, the votes that are counted on election day. Right. But how Mrs. Clinton could have had a 10 to 11 point lead and sometimes even higher uh, against Trump and then that disintegrate within days after Comey's announcement. That was yeah. no accident. Yeah, right. right. And I mean, I mean her, without question. Yeah, I mean, you know, her. and it's, it's, it's one of those things that's hard to quantify, too. It's because oh, it's, it's, it's the big part of every election is um, you might be supported in the polls, but like you just said, how do you get out there and do it? Or how do you send in your early mail-in ballot or whatever? You just have to have the motivation of your voting block, and that motivation obviously wasn't there. I mean, we can we can go on forever about why Hillary didn't have as much excitement or why people didn't show up, even there though are she shows. Myriad of reasons, yeah, absolutely. You know, but some of I, which were her fault, and some were not. Excuse me, I didn't mean to interrupt. Oh no, no. Sorry. I, I mean, of course, Karen. It's you and me, and all of our friends on our podcast. No, um, but you know, kind of bringing it up specifically because I think Comey, to a certain level, addressed some of that today. You know, I want to read. Um, he did. Um, a bit from the transcript today that we got from uh, the Washington Post. Um, and it says, quote, some folks may want to make comparisons to past instances where the Department of Justice and the FBI have spoken about the details of some investigations. But please keep in mind that those involved the details of completed investigations. Our ability to share details with the Congress and the American people is limited when those investigations are still open, which I hope makes sense. And I think he was trying to say that what that announcement was in October was that We've completed our investigation of Weiner, uh, of, of the former congressman from New York, um, and, and that was over, and Clinton is cleared, even though it made her look bad. Um, yes, absolutely. And, and so he's also then saying where he said earlier that, that and that's why he was all you know, relating that the Department of Justice and the FBI as part of our counter, counterintelligence mission is investigating the Russian government's efforts but they're not going to say anything about it because it's ongoing investigation is classified. I cannot say more about what we were doing. Um, but 
At the, and again, quote, at the request of congressional leaders, we have taken the extraordinary step in coordination with the Department of Justice of briefing this Congress's leaders, including the leaders of this committee, in a classified setting in detail about the investigation. And this is talking about Trump now, but I can't go yeah. into those details here in front. You know, I, and then again, quote, I know it's extremely frustrating to some folks. I hope you and the American people can understand the FBI is very careful in how we handle information about our cases and about the people we are investigating. Um, so, you know, I, I guess it's so what he's basically saying is, yes, we are investigating President Trump. We're investigating his campaign team. We're investigating all that. And we're not going to say anything until we're done publicly. And that's perfectly understandable, nor should he, because the damage that that could do. Uh, it could just, it could all, you know, it could damage the investigation to the point it may not continue. Um, I, I did find it interesting that many of the Republicans on the committee kept wanting to just focus on the leaks themselves rather than what Comey was telling them. And the case of somebody like Devin Nunez, who, you know, I don't know that there's any other way to describe him other than a water carrier for Donald Trump at this point, I'm sorry to say, uh, just trying to desperately steer the conversation away from that, and he failed. Um, okay, so you know, does I, this does this also mean then that there is a there there? Uh, unlike what Sean Spicer said um, last week, week before, there is no there there. Now that you know I, that the FBI has said we have been investigating, they've basically been investigating since July, so it's almost a full year into this investigation. So there's got to be some there there, right? I agree that there is. Now, again, two two sides to this. For Trump, the Trump's base... It's not going to matter to many of them, and I don't want to generalize. I think some are probably wondering, what the heck's really going on here, and what did I vote for? Uh, and I think for those who hate Donald Trump or for other Democrats, it doesn't mean he's going to be let out of the White House tomorrow in handcuffs. Um, but I, I feel, given everything we have heard, and we're not talking about fake news sources or overhyped left or right-wing sites, we're talking about legitimate news agencies that have been diligently reporting on this for you know, a year or more. There's little doubt anymore Russia did indeed interfere in this election. And Comey, as much as said, and people can look at the transcript, they wanted Trump to win. They wanted right. to damage Clinton. It's right. a known fact. Vladimir Putin really doesn't like Hillary Clinton, just like he didn't like Barack Obama. Because I think he realized they would be much tougher on what Russia was doing. They couldn't stop it per se. I right, mean, God right. forbid, unless it came to a military action. But there would be no coddling of him the way Trump is, is doing. Right. Um, but at the end of the day, clearly, again, Russia got itself involved in here. But the question that everybody wants to know, and to me has not been answered, how much did the Trump campaign collude with Russia, if at all? And that's a big if. And right. what did they even know? Um, and frankly, Donald Trump, neither anyone, neither he nor anyone is to do this administration has done any themselves any favors in not properly answering these questions. Uh, you might recall before Mike Flynn was fired, Trump was asked on Air Force One about it, and he acted somewhat sheepishly, and I don't know much about that, which you knew right then and there he was lying through his teeth. Of course he did. Um, but let's face it, I, I think it's fair to say this, and uh, some of listeners can take issue. Donald Trump is not an honest man, all right? Uh, you know, Bernie Sanders has gone as far to say he's a pathological liar. Right. 
Um, I, I think overall, and again, we won't know until the FBI releases findings what's, what's really happened here. But there's little doubt that this, this just does not help Donald Trump. It doesn't help his administration. It's going to make, I think, the general public even more wary of him and less willing to trust anything that comes out of his mouth. Now, for the GOP right now, for the more partisan among them, their only goal is to protect Trump. Because basically they know if they, if they turn on him too quickly, they're going to piss off that base that they desperately need to get reelected in 2018. And again, it's a long way to November 2018. But I will say it's looking more and more like the Republicans are going to lose seats here. I'm, I'm not saying the Democrats are going to have a landslide victory given how incompetent they are with campaigning in general and the, the slate of whoever, whichever candidates decide to challenge uh, GOP senators up for re-election, and including in, in Congress, men and women in very gerrymandered districts. But, you know, the, the GOP seems to really have painted itself into a corner here. And from everything I've seen, they're, they're not doing a very good job of finding a way out. Not at this point when it comes to Trump and this entire no. uh, controversy. Right. And, and, and so... Let's let's kind of take a uh, you know talking about meddling. Um, we just had another um, uh, national election this time, one across the uh, pond in the Netherlands, um, and it seems like even though that there um, was some reporting by the New York Times and others that there was Russian meddling also in that election, um, the uh, the the non-Russian backed candidate lost or won. So the Russian backed right. candidate or the Right. So, um, you know, let's, uh, you know, I know that you've been kind of leading and really following this story. So why don't you give us the rundown and and, and I'll do the commenting this time. Well, Margarita, whose party handily won re-election, and I, I think it would be fair to call him a very moderate Republican. Uh, some Dutch people might not agree with that, but sure. I think by American standards, he's much more of a fiscal conservative, a social moderate, um, you know, is generally... I think not the most popular Dutch prime minister, but certainly someone that people on a, on a level like and trust. Uh, he, he came into power in 2010. Um, and Herod uh, Wilders, if anyone has followed his career, it's, I, I think it's fair to call him the Dutch version of Donald Trump, yeah. and even in a more extreme version. Um, even Ironically enough, his mother is Indonesian, so... Uh, he has a, an ethnically mixed background and, uh, and makes some of his positions that he's taken a bit odd, to say the least. But, and and there, there was, interestingly enough, if you listen to coverage of this election, which, again, the Netherlands, an important country. Remember, they founded New York, after all. The Dutch <laughs> did. Uh, you know, it's been, a, been an ally of our nation for many, many, many years. Uh, but not a, not a major player, uh, right. certainly on the world stage and, and in terms of European influence. I'd say it's third tier at best, with all due respect uh, to the country, because it is an important trading partner of ours. It's had, you know, it's had its economy improve over the years. Sure, sure. Uh, I mean, it has a role to play. Uh, it's been an ally to us in Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, in short, I think Wilders had the same kind of voting base in the Netherlands as Trump does here, mm -hmm. mostly white, perhaps not as economically well off uh, for various reasons, um, and his appeal very strongly anti-Muslim, anti-immigration, uh, you know, struck a chord uh, along with some economic issues. 
again, I was very surprised by how well Ruta did. Um, and I think, but I think at the same time, he most likely has to form a coalition government with uh, parties like uh, Green Links and uh, I believe the Christian Democrats who did fairly well. I don't know how big of a role Builders is going to play. He claims that Ruta has not seen the end of me. So he'll probably continue to be a thorn uh, in the Dutch government side and uh, still have his base of supporters. Um, it's not uncommon. It's, we've seen this happen in the U.K. and uh, in other European countries where you have coalition governments. Um, and, you know, we'll see what uh, kind of uh, news or change that brings for uh, for the Dutch uh, people. And I, I think another thing I wanted to say, John, this is just an interesting, perhaps it could be a foreshadowing, perhaps, of what's going to happen in France. As you know, a very big election is coming up in May for the presidency. France is obviously a much bigger country, much bigger player in the world stage and the economic stage, although that country's economy has been a mess for a long time now, uh -huh, yeah. unfortunately. Sure. Um, and then, of course, we have Germany. And uh, we have the woman who is known now as the leader of the free world, Angela Merkel, who's going to be going for another term. Um, she's not had the best year, uh, in a year and a half, given her decision to let so many refugees in Germany. Uh, so, you know, she may be getting more competition from uh, the Social Democrat there, whose last name I believe is Schuller. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I might have that wrong. I'm sorry. Well, um, you know the you know the uh, but, the folks but, are moving you know uh, very quickly in the you know there's a lot of turmoil there. So absolutely, uh, and and it's funny because you know people sometimes have this idea, a little aside I have, that all Europeans are a bunch of crazy socialists, and right. nothing could be farther from the truth. Each one of these countries, Germany, France, the Netherlands, the UK, as we saw last year with the historic Brexit vote, they all have a pretty solid base of conservative voters. And they've definitely been speaking out more. They've been, uh, you know, coalescing. Um, I do think, though, the, the root of when it does sort of maybe stop that whole everybody's going on, getting on the Trump train narrative. And, and so I, I guess it remains to see, be seen what happens in France. That's going to be, I think, an even a bigger test. In May, uh, coming up. Yeah, you know. Le Pen and uh, Emmanuel Macron, sorry. Yeah, okay. no, no. And, you know, I think a big thing is that, the to me, that came out of this, the whole process that was going on and what's going on continues to go on in France um, and in other places is the way that the information war um, level is continuing. Um, as, oh, yeah, you know, that's as, a huge part of it. As we, as we mentioned, um, there was a group of Russians were were trying to tilt, um, you know, the Dutch vote on some other things, and then even now, so yeah. it's like, you know, they're influencing it on the web, they're influencing it in the court of public opinion, um, they're hacking when they can. If they get information, then they use it, um, and um, it, it. But it maybe there's some hope, and you know, this New York Times piece that we were reading, they mentioned that, you know, there's just. A little bit more of a national anxiety uh, in the Netherlands to the Soviet, no, Soviet, sorry, the Russians. Well, correct. Because they're Absolutely. they kind of know them a yeah. bit better. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I mean you know they know them a little bit better. I think you know so. Well, they they do, and just one quick thing I want to say: you might recall the terrible airline crash that right. happened over over the Ukraine in uh, 2014, which killed a lot of Dutch passengers on a plane. And there was a lot of backlash against Russia in that country, to the point of where the Prime Minister Ruto was screaming at Putin on the phone, you're responsible for this. Right. So there's a lot of wariness about Russian influence. 
especially in that country. Yeah, and you know, I mean, there's got to be a point at some, you know, where you know Trump and his folks might want to sweep everything under the rug. But the fact is that whether there's collusion or not, it has to be out there, and everyone has to understand that there's people um, and and governments around the world because you know the Russian people are probably. You know, just as nice as the American people. You know, like you were talking about, people tend to be people no matter where you are. That's right. You know, and you sometimes you have a greater, you know, concentration of one type in certain areas, and you know, we can we can argue that forever. But generally, most people are the same, and it's whoever is in power that makes it really different. And and you know, and so the Russian leadership with with Putin and a bunch of you know national intelligence former KGB guys running it—that's the way their government's going to play. And, and, and that's what they're doing. So hopefully, you know, all these investigations just need to, to put it out there so we can stop it. And, and it just has the, 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 the regular old court of public opinion, regular people doing it, not, not, um, you know, people who run a nation or who have access to billions of dollars being able to influence public opinion through the internet that you couldn't do, uh, 20, 50, 100 years ago um, with newspapers. Um, when, when it was just a newspaper way, this means of influencing election is, is basically unheard of. But because you can reach everyone, um, it has changed the dynamic and they've decided to exploit it. So I think, you know, no matter whether, you know, I can kind of understand where Trump is at if he's totally innocent. I can understand it. He doesn't like it, but he's the victim of it, and he has to, you know, jump behind it to say we need to find out because we don't need anybody else um, to go through this in their countries. And I think that's the real fundamental, um, uh, you know, problem with what his actions are do are are are, are creating, especially if there was no collusion with his campaign. Uh, if there is no collusion in his campaign, then he needs to be doing this for our country and for every other country. And by not doing that, um, it's 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 near negligence. Well, I, I you know, and you're you're absolutely right. I think that would take somebody though with more maturity and dare I say it, more decency than Donald Trump. Or either that, uh, or you're hiding something. Neither of, of, of those. Right. I mean, Pardon? it's either that, or he's hiding something, or, or yeah, his campaign I, is. Yeah, uh, look, it, it's clear, again, there's a, a whole lot of evidence swirling around this administration, and it's up to them. Uh, yeah, obviously, if the FBI has some real evidence, then it needs to present it, or if another agency has that. Right. But it just seems to me that the Trump's administration, the Trump administration's efforts so far to proclaim its innocence look like anything but. Yeah, and why would you be so upset about leaks but not care that somebody's hacking into your competitor just because it did you good. I mean, it, 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 it flies in the face of logical thought that what's more important that somebody influenced the presidential election or that something that's always happened, um, which is basically public information. We've talked about it on this, on this call on, on this, on these podcasts before that everything that usually gets leaked out of the government is public unless it's classified. And we never really hear too much classified information word for word. I mean, you have people saying that there was a classified tapping of somebody's phone and something happened, but that's not classified information that it went on. It's classified what was said. And and so, Correct. you know, these people are skirting the line between classified and not, and that's the way we work in a free society. If, it's, if you're able to walk on that line and not 
be guilty, then you're fine. And, you know, that's part of our open, transparent government that we try to have with the realms of knowing you have to have certain classified information or else you give all your um, uh, uh, secrets to, you know, a potential enemy. I mean, you can't you can't just, you know, come up with a stealth bomber and then post the the, uh, blueprints on on the Internet. I mean, that just makes no sense. Um, But at the same time, most everything else in our society is free and open and accessible by us. And so it's not really a crime. Um, Anyway, let's move on to to the next Trump issue. He released his budget the other day. Although it's a lot different than being a CEO because you don't have control. You have like an independent, you have an independent accounting department um, who can tell you no. And that's the big difference with Congress and being a president. And again, I will say, um, having Trump never had any sort of public office, including a governorship, a mayor, anybody, anything, any role, is showing. It's showing why it's why that should be like almost a prerequisite to being president um, at this point. And and we had talked about this before the call about (laughs) maybe some things that were assumed as being um, just assumptions that 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 basically people meant that if you were going to run and win for president you would have to have political experience which trump is not didn't and and it's showing why you need to why you need to release your tax forms uh, why you need to for sure by the letter of the law maybe in the future um um, relinquish control of any sort of companies if you're going to be president a lot of these things that were assumed to be tradition um, maybe we need to codify, but, but again, let's, let's not digress too far. Um, so he releases a budget that I think people are expecting and even him himself, I think maybe he doesn't really know that he's going to have to, uh, have somebody else. Okay. This, and then he's going to have to pass or either decide to sign their budget or not. Um, that the president just kind of can say what he wants, but it's Congress that's going to make this budget. Nevertheless, um, I want to come, you know, run down a few of the highlights that we saw here. Um, 31% cut in the EPA, uh, 29% cut on state and other development programs, 20% cut from on, on agriculture, <clears throat> excuse me, 21% cut in labor, uh, 20% on justice, 16% on health and human services, 16% cut in commerce, 14% cut in education, which uh, Ms. DeVos um, supports a 13% cut in transportation, which I don't know how you're going to spend on highways and infrastructure. Of course, you know, I mean, uh, they say they have other plans. Uh, HUD, 12% cut. Interior Department, 12%. Energy, 6 Treasury, 4 NASA, only 1%. And then Veterans Affairs, Homeland Security, and Defense all get increases. VA gets a 6% increase. Homeland Security gets 7 And Defense gets a whopping 10% to rise to $574 billion. Okay, Karen, your first your first volley into the Trump budget. I, I, I think, <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, obviously, <laughs> they're just making it known that this, these are the things they value. And I suppose it's nice to see the VA getting sure. uh, an increase, um, but... The military budget just seems incredibly bloated as it is, and I'm not trying to minimize the importance of having a strong, prepared military. Uh, Certainly, we would hope part of that increase would include pay raises for all the men and women who serve in uniform. I have yet to see much of anything on that. 
uh, it seems to simply to go to a lot of very big contracting programs. And, you know, number one, everybody should be asking, are all of those necessary? We already know the F-35 has been a, a huge boondoggle in a lot of ways. Sure. But many congressmen, both Democrat and Republican, thought to hold on to that because it had jobs in their district. Um, but uh, just some of these proposed cuts to things like PBS and the NEA and above all, to me, on wheels just seem, they seem cruel. They seem vindictive and unnecessary. Uh, and it simply shows what Donald Trump's priorities are, which is to not give much of a damn about the rest of civilian life, which uh, even the Bush administration, for all of its problems with budgeting, didn't even go this far. And they, they certainly never uh, never proposed, which Trump claimed over and over again he wasn't going to touch Medicare or Social Security, but I don't see much of any kind of addition for either one of those. In fact, both of them, unless I'm wrong, correct me if I am, are all, all for all intents and purposes on the chopping block. Well, you know, I mean, again... But once again, I, not living up to the things he said he was going to do. We're seeing that. Yeah, I mean, again, like we had mentioned, you know, in the or I mentioned in this lead-in... It's it's not really up to him, you know. Uh, it, this no, all has to go through Congress, and they're going to do what they want to do anyway. And as the relationship frays, the more likely they are to, to I think, spin away. And you know, we've seen some Republicans already come out um, because uh, the way that the uh, NEA and the NEH uh, and Meals on Wheels and some of these other places that they get sponsored or they get some of this, these federal money, um, they're kind of spread out through some of these block grants and through some other things. So. Um, there's no, you know, uh, more spending on Maplethorpe kind of art. Um, um, they've taken that away. Um, that was, you know, what happened in the 90s and that reaction to that. Now it's just, you know, it's basically given to, you know, block programs and then other people, you know, kind of spend on it. But to go back to the need to move it to defense. And we had, we've done, if anybody's listening to this, we did a, 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 a podcast where we talked about military defense spending um, a few weeks ago. Oh, maybe a you know, yeah. month and a half, maybe eight weeks ago. Um, and, you know, the United States spends more than any other country. Um, we're number one at about $618 billion, they assessed. Um, this is what the USA Today said in 2014. Um, so there's been a bit of a cut. But still, we're talking three times more than the closest nation, which is China. Um, and and we're spending 3.8% of our GDP, um, and we need to. We feel like we need to increase it. And some of that stuff just doesn't. It just do, it flies in the face of common sense. Um, you know, like you said, you want to find that 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 increase to uh, to to VA benefits. Why does it have to come from? Um, why can't it come just from the regular budget? I mean, they, it's $78 billion is spent um, uh, in, in his new budget from $74 billion. Um, do you really need to cut, uh, you know, and, and Veterans Affairs is $74 billion. Well, that's that's more than the EPA by, by almost 10. I mean, the EPA only gets about $8 billion a year. Um, and it's $74 billion for Veterans Affairs. I mean, it's not even close to it. Uh, you know, so the money can be found in other places. And, you know, you're taking away from climate change. So they're, they're cutting everything in NASA that has to do with climate change r- research. Uh, and they're just going to be on space exploration. So that, and the thing, the reason why NASA got it, as we all know, 
is because they were able to put satellites into space. Um, and so you were able to get all these specialized satellites which would look at things. And now you're not going to be able to put them up there anymore. Um, and, and so a lot of this, I think, is dead on arrival. Again, you know, we'll go back to it and the Senate's going to have to, have to and, and the House are going to have to work on this budget together. And the more the relationship starts to deteriorate or the more um, uh, uh, credibility that Trump loses, the less likely he's going to get anything that his budget asks for. Um, yeah, I absolutely agree with that. And you know, I, but I, I mean, think, again, um, all politics is local, right? As the saying goes. And for example, uh, Senator Rob Portman, who got handily reelected last year, uh, has never been the biggest fan of Donald Trump, uh, kind of kept his distance during the campaign. He's not happy about, for example, the Trump administration wanting to cut the EPA's Great Lakes Restoration Program. Now, Ohio, Wisconsin, and Michigan were all supposed blue states that voted very narrowly for Trump. Uh, and a lot of people are not too happy about that, uh, given how important the Great Lakes are to not only the water supply for that part of the country, but dare I say it, to a certain degree, the water supply of the entire country uh, and the ecosystems and the fishing industry and so many other things that these lakes support. So, you know, again, he, Ron Johnson, who has been a hardcore Trump supporter, but even he has kind of backed away on this. They're not happy about that. It's just one example. And that's just the Midwest. Sure. So, you know, the more that's learned about programs like Meals on Wheels or other types of things that really do benefit the average American, especially for Republicans who are, you know, already going to be in a lot of trouble come next year, they're going to run from this budget, I think. And we're oh, yeah. not going to be supporting it. You know, and I, the last thing I want to say on this before we move to our last bit, which is yeah. the Obamacare repeal, is, you know, I don't think it's gotten enough press, but because I don't think people understand how it works. But the fact that they were going to cut $11 billion, basically, from the State Department, and it seems like this this <laughs> war that Trump has declared on the State Department, like they've somehow wronged him greatly, um, makes seems to make no sense. So you take an ex, Exxon CEO... Well, and then you put him in as the head of the State Department. And as most people, you know, educated folks who understand the way our democracy and our system has been working, State Department is supposed to really work on, 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 on keeping the peace and good relationships with other, with other countries. The Defense right. Department is supposed to make sure that we can wage war and defend our country. And, and so to take $10 billion off of our, our relationship building and our peacekeeping ideal... Um, and then you're adding another, you know, 50-something billion dollars to defense. It just flies in the face, I think, of what what we want to be as a country when it comes down to it. And, again, people are people. We're the same all over. And, you know, as, and the old the old adage that, you know, every, every good, great soldier hates war is true. And a lot of them will say and admit that, you know, the State Department has stopped a lot of wars. They're not just there. Um, you know, you know, piddling around spending money. You know, it's it's a lot of hard work to be in different areas, and you might have a army base um, in a couple places around the world, but you're supposed to have um, embassies and staff in every major city in the world if you're the United States, and that costs money. But the relationships it should build us should pay for itself. Unlike when you're dropping a drone on somebody's house, um, which is what the Defense Department can do. So, you know, right. And which is what the Trump administration, well, in part, I should say, recently did with the disastrous raid in Yemen. And 
Another thing I want to say, I recall Hillary Clinton being grilled, what, 11 times over the Benghazi uh, tragedy. And part of the reason that that happened, part of it, not all of it, was because funding for the State Department and embassy protection had been cut by Republicans like Jason Chaffetz, who was one of the main uh, loud voices on that. Um, Surely it would concern some Republicans about embassy safety in light of not only that, but the 60 or so attacks that happened during George Bush's tenure. And again, George W. Bush is not personally to blame for those. But we know there are very dangerous areas of the world where we have embassies. And certainly uh, it makes sense to make sure the protection for those is as sound as possible. And we will see if they're going to be able to do it or how many they're going to be able to keep up open yeah. when you cut. I mean, this is, this is just the start of the process. I I think this budget will look a lot different than what it is now. Sure, but, you know, uh, I think it's the audacity to say you're going to make your two largest percentage cuts to Health and Human Services and the State Department. Okay, it's... Well, correct, which is insane. Um, okay, so I guess I guess we'll 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 have to hope that level heads in Congress um, come through for us. So we'll look to uh, we hope mm-hmm. we'll look to the elf um, slash Paul Ryan. I think uh, he reminds me of uh, you put him in a little elf outfit and he looks like uh, Will Ferrell <laughs> in that movie. Uh, anyway, the usual refrain of Eddie Munster, but I oh I Eddie, don't that's know. right, he's I got don't refer to him. He does. Come on, Dad. <laughs> okay. Um, GOP's Obamacare repeal hits the banana peel. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Is it out the window? Um, you know, has it got any legs? Firstly, we had um, earlier uh, this month, I think it was around last week, mid, mid-week, something like that, um, the CBO came out with their report saying probably by 2020, I think it was, um, right, uh, $24 million? Uh, people would lose health care. Um, what do you think, Karen? Is that going to make it? I, you know, again, I, I think the GOP has just rolled out this entire American health care uh, act in the most disastrous and clumsy way possible. It makes any, it, all, it almost makes, well, in fact, I think it does make the Obamacare rollout or ACA look incredibly smooth by comparison. Um and, and, and there's a lot of dishonesty in it. It claims, I mean, again, they keep claiming it's about access. Well, what good is access if you can't afford the damn insurance? Uh, and if it's going to make it so people can't afford it, then it's absolutely useless. And that's just one problem with it for starters. Another is that it turns out that that's going to affect an awful lot of people in states that Donald Trump won and that the GOP desperately needs to hold on to quite a few of them next year. So I... Again, I, I think what's going to happen, this, this Health Care Act is going to get overhauled before it ever becomes law, if it even does. So, the one one fact I thought was interesting, I even saw this on Fox News with, um, I don't know, one of the guys that was somewhere else, I can't remember who, who it was again, interviewing Paul Ryan, pointing out that um, if Obamacare was in place in its current form in a decade, a 64-year-old earning $26,000, so say they're retired, um, earning less than twice the federal poverty level would pay $1,700 for premiums in a year um, because of federal assistance. Under right. that GOP plan, um, which is Ryan Care or Trump Care or whatever you want to call it, 
Um, and I know Trump doesn't like Trump care, so I might be tempted to use that. Um, <laughs> but under that same plan, under this plan that's out there now, a 64-year-old at the same income level would pay $14,600. So you got somebody who's 54 years old right now supporting Donald Trump. Ten years, is he going to do that if he has to pay $14,000 because he's retired at 64? Now, I know that there's a little bit of hair splitting here. Um because one, I think Ryan and some other people have realized, oh, they found our big glaring hole, um, and they're going to try to to seal it. But as we've talked about, that's where most of that the thing, the big thing that they, the Republicans, were pushing was that it's going to save three hundred and thirty-seven billion dollars over a decade, um, which ends up being about three billion dollars a year, which, as we know, is. Uh, a teeny weeny fraction of the defense budget. Okay, so you could keep it all the same if you just didn't, you know, if you didn't make all those cuts and cut three billion dollars from defense, you'd be fine. Um, you know, I mean, these these aren't really hard numbers to get over. Um, and the biggest thing with this uh, plan was they're going to uh, allow for more of a penalty, so they don't have to pay. The federal assistance is going to go away for the most part. Um, they needed to make older people who usually take more health benefits, they're going to have to pay more. A lot more. Right. Right. So it's like yeah, Obamacare was, they could charge up to three per times the amount that they charge a younger person. And the Republican plan that's going through now that is probably might be changed and who knows, but that would be then five times the amount that you charge a younger, healthy person. Um, right. You know, it just doesn't seem to make much sense. And a lot of the Obama or the Trump care supporters, Mulvaney, um, some of the other people in Trump's administration were saying um, they they can't justify that to a coal miner in West Virginia. Um, and that's also on the budget. But it's the same thing about, you know, about Obamacare, why they're trying to cut it um, and why they're trying to get it is because they don't want to pay subsidies for somebody else. But these subsidies go to people to pay people for health care. Like yeah, right. So it's, it's just, uh, you know, and, and believe it or not, coal miners in West Virginia, some of their family members might depend on Meals on Wheels, uh-huh. might depend on an educational program for their children. So I, I, Mulvaney, I just want to say as a quick aside, I think Mulvaney had, himself had a disastrous debut uh, at his press conference uh, the other week. He just came off as incredibly heartless and uh, partisan and, again, yet another Trump administration member who is... Just not making a good impression for the public at large. Yeah, I mean, and it seems so uh, disingenuous for somebody who uh, yes, you know, true. you know, who's made six figures plus for a long time is trying to say, "Well, I can't look that West Virginia coal miner in the eye." When have you looked a West Virginia coal miner in the eye? I mean, I, you know, I doubt ever. You know, probably uh, never met with one. I'll be honest, I've never met with one, um, but, you know, I don't claim to speak for how they'd feel about, every one of them would feel about these cuts. Um, yeah, I mean, and that's and, part of being uh, in a republic. That's why, that's why this has just come back to bite the Republicans in the rear end. I mean, isn't this, that... This bill does far less than it promises to, and it, it, it hurts a lot of people. And isn't that part of being in a republic, um, is that some people at some times have to take on a burden so other people can benefit. And sometimes you have to make a decision as as the person who's a Republican representative. And I'm, when I mean a Republican representative, I mean that we live in a Republican system, not as in well, we the GOP. Republic, yeah, it's right? a Democratic 
republic. It's a republic form of government based on democratic principles. Right, because um, we don't have self, self, exactly self-voting, so we're not a democracy, really. We're a republic. Correct. But, I mean, I mean, That's we can correct. go to civics class, you know, forever. But I think the point is, is that you have to make those choices. And, and, and sometimes you have to say, well, the greater good is, 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 is more benefited by us doing this. And, and, and so determining what goes into what budget. And again, from my point of view, a lot of times, especially when you're not really fighting wars, spending, you know, uh, more than three times what any other country spends on military spending, um, is how can you look somebody in the face for that? You know, when, Either you give somebody a tax break, or you or you or you give them benefits um, like like healthcare um, or Medicaid or Social Security. Um, but one way or another, you don't just put it down a a a, a black hole of military spending because again, if, unless you're actually defending yourself with these goods, it is useless. That's correct. And I, just to go back to the past and the lesson. The Bush administration fought two wars on a credit card, took it off the books. And, you know, every time you hear somebody yell about a $16 trillion debt, right. or as Mark, Mike Mulvaney did, uh, one of the reasons we have that debt, again, is because the Bush administration took these two wars off the books. Um, that in the real estate bubble. That, system. Yeah, and that in the real estate bubble. And, you know... For anybody who doesn't understand, it still is the same way. When we hit a recession, the government has to spend because no one else will. Um, well, you know, it's it's correct. you know it's 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 the nature of business to say and and you know again I was at a newspaper company right after September 11th and we got pay cuts before the market tanked because they that's what business does they just in they 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 forecasted that revenues were going to go down so they gave us a a cut. So we weren't spending anything. I know I didn't spend crap all of 2002 because I took a 25% pay cut because, you know, my company knew what was going to go on, right? So you have to have the government. That's the modern form of economics, of macroeconomics says government spends to keep the economy moving or else we go into huge depressions and our whole system can collapse. So uh, you know, for anybody out there who doesn't understand it, um, because there's plenty of GOPers who I've had to explain this to that that just don't like it, um, they say, "Well, that's not necessarily true." Well, you say, "Okay, then you go back and live in 1930, and you tell me." Well, not only that, I mean, you you get tired of the phrase "socialist" being thrown around for every last thing. Okay, it's pretty simple. A socialist economy is where the government owns the means of production. Period. Last right. time I checked. Our country doesn't run like that. Right. Private companies own the means of production. They may get subsidies from the government. They may get a tax break. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Uh, uh, and I don't, you know, the day I, when I see any Republican really interested in truly eliminating co- corporate welfare is the day that I'll take a lot of what they have to say seriously otherwise. Sure, sure, sure. But so far, you don't see that. And, if, you know, I tell people if you're so against socialism, then you damn well better be against the U.S. military because you're paying for everybody. For everybody on that, As, and and certainly they can claim, well, that's part of, you know, the Constitution. Well, yes, so is the phrase in the Declaration of the General Welfare. That too is part of it. So yeah. the both go together. Or um, social, or social I, security. It even has the word "social" in it. And you know, we are a hybrid yes. socialist system, um, just like absolutely. most most modern capital. Excuse me, most modern capitalistic 
uh, economies have some form of hybrid socialism within it. Um, you know, because well, those are the most successful economies as a general rule, and that's why we remain still China with China nipping at our heels, nonetheless. Uh, you know, still the number one economy on earth because of that successful mix of both private and the public. Okay, so we've kind of just kind of touched on disingenuousness. We've t- touched on healthcare. Now let's bring those two things together. One of the big, right when we wrap up here, because we're about at our at our at our end of our podcast. But the Republicans, GOPers ran um, on the Obamacare death spiral. It was dying. It was it was going to go away. It, it was horrible. It was never going to work. But of course, there was never any tweaks made to it. And as we all know. You have to have tweaks to such massive legislation to fix what happened. So the Democrats were able to implement it, pass it, and then they lost the majority, and it's never been improved since because they can't get them to they can't get the Republicans to agree to change anything. But the CBO report then comes out saying that that whole death spiral thing, don't believe it. It wasn't going to happen. Okay, um, the Republican plans um, uh, from uh, Politico. The, they say they wrote the report provides a bit of good news for Obamacare supporters and detractors. Some, despite some instability in Obamacare's marketplaces, the CBO doesn't believe the health care law is facing a dreaded death spiral, in which premiums rise so high that only the sickest patients are motivated to purchase insurance. Nor, though, does the G, the CBO think the GOP plan would result in a death spiral. Right. The report says Obamacare's income-based subsidy structure is protecting enrollees from higher premiums, which comes at a greater expense to the federal government. And the CBO thinks the individual mandate is still enough of an incentive to bring healthy people into the marketplace. And this is from a CBO, which was a, the, the director was appointed by GOPers. So um, can you call that, is that disingenuous that they ran on that for six years? Well, again, the, the problem the Republicans have had with all of this, and, and President Obama kept saying, if you've got a better idea, bring it to me. Right, and I, right. You know, given his, his willingness to work with Republicans and, you know, to, to, uh, you know, to the annoyance of his detractors on that, I think the former president probably would have gone along with their plan if they'd come up with something solid enough. But they didn't. And that's why this whole thing was, just was put together in a very slapdash quick manner without a lot of thought in terms of, okay, what are the consequences of this? Mm. They just want to get it out there to, to save face. And it, and it's not, again, it's not helping them. Yeah. And, 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 and like we talked about in our prep for this podcast, again, that the Obamacare plan is really a Republican plan. They just don't like that. He was the one who passed it. Right. I mean, and there's just something incredibly immature about that. I mean, Mitt Romney, you know, who's governor of Massachusetts, you know, I think that's Romney care, right? For, for the program he came up with. Right. Uh, and he's a Republican. Fine. Well, um, the Heritage he Foundation idea, right? Over. I mean, it was originally, an, it was an originally an Heritage Foundation. Heritage Foundation, that's correct. And really not a bad idea. Yes, there needs to be a program that covers more people. Yes, the government has to spend this some money, but let's have private insurance companies in the mix. Now, Here's a newsflash for anybody who pays attention. No program, be it private or public, is going to work flawlessly. Those right. of us who have private insurance, I'm very grateful for the plan that I'm on. 
does it have its problems? You better believe it. And the same would be the, it would be the same with single care. There would be issues with that because no system, I don't care what it is, is foolproof. There will always be people for, for which it just doesn't work as well. And this is life in a civilized society. Right. Uh, you know, when somebody can wave a magic wand and get everybody the ideal health care program they need at a price they can afford, let me know when that happens. Uh, you know, I'll eat my hat, and then we'll have to go to a doctor for that. But. Yeah, and, you know, <laughs> it's just, you know, and I think the basic idea is that even um, what now, you know, because – Again, we started talking about that Obamacare really is initially a conservative plan or a GOP plan. Right. Heritage Foundation, other people, they push for that. And then, you know, there's nowhere else to go except for something like this, which is basically useless. I mean, really, it, it, it doesn't protect um, real low-income earners or older people, the people that really no, are, were the victims from health care, um, the lack of health care reform before Obamacare. So you just basically push them back outside, okay? And so then you've had conservative types go back to the same idea of healthcare savings accounts and and this and that. Well, you know, those are all well and good. And they're good for somebody who still is is healthy, relatively healthy, and is at a certain age of their life. But if you try to take somebody who's 45 years old and tell them they got to keep saving it, well, what if they get cancer and they have to go do proton therapy or something else and they suggest, well, a healthcare account... If you're, you know, you're talking about something that's a medical cost that could be up to a half a million dollars in order for somebody's health care and because they're fighting something or maybe they live just long enough to go get more health care. And so it just ends up snowballing. So we're going to either we pay for it, but they're never going to have a health care savings account that's going to be able to get that much money. They're not going to earn that in their whole life. And so, you know. Where do we end up going if, if you're just going to always keep saying, well, it's not enough and we want less taxes until, I mean, you know, there's some people wouldn't be happy until you had zero taxes and then they complain that there's no army. Um, you know, it, it just, it flies in the face of, of, of rational thought. You know, you can't just create, collect taxes just for an army. You have other things that come along with it, you know, and, and we live in this modern world and do we spend it all that way? And, you know, but when it comes back to healthcare. Where do you go? You know, and, and do you just finally accept that you've been fighting something that you is really goes right up your alley, which is still private business that are regulated? Um, and yeah, you have some, um, you know, federal input, but you always did. Um, you're, and you're always going to, and you always should in this modern time. Um, but where do we go from here? And, uh, you know, again... You know, we're stuck in the same thing with Obamacare. We don't know what's going to happen. I think, you know, you know, Paul Ryan has said even now, at first he was saying, hardline, we're not changing anything. It's either going to be passed or not. Um, you know, we also saw Rand Paul come out saying it's dead. Um, it's going to go, it's, it's, it's going to die. So, you know, you already have people at the brink and saying, I'm not voting or we're not changing. I mean, with when it got introduced, you had people already having to threaten the fact that it's this or nothing just because they wanted to get it passed. And you also now are having the people are against it, and even GOPers like Rand Paul are saying, I'm not voting for it, and it's dead. So, you know, we're already at the line. Who knows if Obamacare, uh, you know, there's ever anything that's even gets done um, before there's a major, uh, um, you, know, you know, controversy going on. I don't know. What are your th- thoughts on it at this point? Do you think there's a chance there's any sort of changes by the end of the, this year? 
I think the chances are very slim. Um, for reasons you nicely articulated about what a mess this plan is, uh, number one, that the, a lot of the GOP politicians are lukewarm on it on best. Paul Ryan, I, you know, I, I'm not quite sure what kind of game he's playing here, um, but he's another one who just comes off looking callous and foolish, frankly, uh, in all of this. Uh, this is not going to help his future presidential chances. It's a small thing in the long run, but still. And, I, you know, I, I think the Trump administration figures one way or the other, Trump won't get hurt by this. But this is a man who keeps on saying we're going to have a beautiful plan and, uh, you know, every other uh, adjective he can to describe this and how wonderful it's going to be. And yet when it crashes and burns, I guess they can think, well, well we can just say the Republicans let this fail. It's not on us. But it still will reflect on him. Just in the same way, the ACA's problems reflected on Barack Obama. So there, there's no getting out of that. I, I frankly see this just kind of withering away, and, you know, and God only knows what's going to be happening here in the next six months. But, you know, you just, know just, there doesn't seem to be any sincerity yeah, and, behind this plan whatsoever. And, and who that's knows, the problem. Yeah, and who knows if it really even impacts the uh, the uh, GOP when it comes to midterms, because it, it doesn't really seem like, not. well, yeah, I mean, you know, Trump could say whatever he wanted in the campaign, he still got elected president. And and so, you know, it's like, well, maybe they don't ever even repeal it, and people just go, oh, yeah, well, now that Republicans are doing it, you know, there's a certain level of that Republican base that's going to vote for Republicans no matter what they, they do. Care. They will not care. However, I say independent and moderate voters, I, I think they might remember this next year and just say, okay, this is a party that basically lied to us, number one, and number two, did nothing to fix ACA. So there, there may be political backlash, and there may be a price to pay at the polls. I frankly think that's going to be the least of the GOP's problems. Yeah, well, we're going to have to see uh, in about 18 months, and we're going to have to see again in, in the next couple of weeks what's happened in the maelstrom that is now currently Washington, D.C. We thought it was bad before, mm -hmm. and it could only seem be, to be getting worse. Uh, hopefully, it will eventually get better. But, Karen, again, I want to thank you again. We've, again taken our full hour um but thanks again for joining me and sharing your inputs and research with our listeners and me well thank you and again thank you so much to the listeners it's um, really, uh it's always a pleasure to be here uh, next week i don't even remember what's on our list i know someone's going to get mad at me for that but i think we got a sports podcast coming up with uh, wayne and i are going to do one next week and, and then Ka karen and i will be back a few weeks after that um, to see what else has happened um, but thanks all for joining us and we'll see you next time thanks again Karen thank you bye bye everyone